Oh yeah, today is a bizarre day for so both of us. Oh, well, I'm excited today. This is a very challenging, um, you know, topic for me because I am not a gamer. I am so excited. Like, I am so nerdy right now. I have my video game t-shirt on. Like, I'm like full nerd right now. Look at this. It's like Mountain Dew and Doritos all over and those people. I'm like wearing a diaper like an astronaut. Like, I'm sorry, I'm in I'm in for eight hours. Not leaving. Yeah. So, you know, so Lydia, you remember I was telling you about how Lydia met the uh she was at the bar, hotel bar and met the stripper. Yeah. The stripper has a podcast. Oh really? So I'm like, she should be on the show. Did you let's go? Did Lydia do her due diligence and was she like, oh well, my husband has a podcast and it's just <laughs> 24 subscribers. You I have, really check it out. <laughs> yeah. We I I checked out the uh the person's podcast and they, they have more than 24. So we they're gonna be our competition now. We're I don't know if we can compete with that, but we have a little ways to go, I guess. Well, slow and steady. <laughs> That's right. That is correct. I don't even know what other podcasts are out there. I don't listen to them. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> I don't I don't want to admit I don't listen to, but I don't think that anyone else actually wore funeral clothes last week uh, to no. mourn the death of poetry. So No, they're they're not really putting their full hearts in. No, I mean they're putting they are putting their CVs front and center. Yeah. So they're yeah. not us. We are sabotaging every opportunity we can possibly get. So. <laughs> we are Table for Deuce. Welcome, everybody. We are the show where we shoot the shit about all things lit. And that includes video game literature, as we'll delve into later today, which I'm so excited about. Uh, but with me, as always, is Kate Hansen Foster, author of Midrift, author of Crow funeral and all around fantastic person. I, I'm not going to roast. I'm going to toast Kate today Aww, for just lazy. being being so. <laughs> Kate has like a blah, blah, blah. Kate has done so much behind the scenes as far as editing the videos and making so much of our rambles into these nice little compact funny things. Or more compact than they are. Usually they're just these sprawling, like, tentacled beasts. Yeah. But Kate is able to take that and make it a cohesive, funny thing. So uh, many of you probably don't know that. But there are hours and hours spent on the back end that Kate handles. So Kate has been fantastic. So welcome, everybody. Kate Hanson Foster. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Yay! I think that, uh, what people don't realize is that like whenever like a meme or a graphic comes up on the screen, it's because I've sliced my sentences apart so much <laughs> trying to cut out all of my likes <laughs> and stupid ideas. And I'm like, if they saw the version of me without the graphic in front of me, it would be like, robot. <laughs> Thank you for that compliment. That was very nice, but it's very fun. It's a labor of love. So um, I will read, uh, you know, in the spirit of uh, internet and 
pop culture and gaming and all things current, um, I thought I would have a little fun with an AI generator and found one that generates Ooh. bios. So I've logged in just a few facts about you. Um, and I'd like to read what the artificial intelligence robot came up for you. So Michael Schmelzer, who hails from Japan, but now lives in Seattle, is a poet of two books of poetry. Not bad so far. So far, uh, so good. Schmelzer has been published in many magazines, including Hokey Pokey Poetry. <laughs> <laughs> And has been anthologized in the Sin Eaters Manual. One time he got kicked off an AWP panel for weaponizing kindness. <laughs> it knows everything about me. Well, I put in a few facts, you know, but like short, short facts, you know, just, <laughs> you know, that's not entirely true, but whatever. If, you know, AI says it it's must be so um mm -hmm. and when schmelzer is not writing he can be found eating mcdonald's and playing video games that is 90 percent true it's scary yeah and That's little scary. known little known fact everybody i was kicked off an awp panel mm -hmm. and i made that shit implode and they canceled the whole panel because i wouldn't leave so fuck you people <laughs> that's what i say to those hosts of that panel oh god you just you me your finger. I, right. did. I went I was like I was I was ready to fight I'm gonna fight people at this Seattle's AWP too I'm ready I'm just gonna get kicked out of that too I mean my track record so far this fall is not so great when it comes to <laughs> including picking up my child from the nurse's office today but I'm like I'm still I'm like if all goes well we will be at AWP together yeah boy oh boy we're gonna have to do some coming. kind of we're gonna have to live stream and just roam and ask questions <laughs> yeah. and just roast people to their face <laughs> i did that i did that last year and it wasn't even for a podcast i just walked up <laughs> but what was the jericho brown quote about you <laughs> oh that was that was at awp he was reading oh, okay reader at um at exeter and afterwards they like there were like after drinks and stuff at the at the hotel lobby where he was yeah. sitting and stuff and anyways I just thought I was making my normal chit chat as I often try to do with celebrity poets and he just stopped and looked at me and was like you are a very strange woman Kate <laughs> <laughs> well my friend Matt who invited me is in the corner like why do I invite her every time like why why do I invite her yeah. Stupid things every single time. I wanted to. I wanted to mention uh, because uh, a recent, and we mean this sincerely, a recent, basically poetry legend has passed away. Charles Simic, uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, Pulitzer Prize finalist, I think numerous times over, uh, has basically won every possible award I think there was, including translation prizes. Uh, just a giant in the literary world has passed away recently. So um, just if you don't know Charles Simic's work, um, I can't say I know a ton of it. I have read The World Doesn't End, which was his Pulitzer winning book. Um, and I've read some poems here and there uh, throughout the years. But um, 
always someone that I've respected as far as their intellect and their talent and humor and just surreal minimalist poems at a time. So I uh, just wanted to have a quick moment. And if you are a fan of Simic, please link us some poems. We would love to just check them out and post about it and things like that. So do you ever wonder how, like, like Charles Simic, for instance, obviously smart, obviously just this life of literature and reviews and translations. And I just think, is he when he when he was speaking off the cuff was he anywhere like this or is anyone else like this does anyone else babble or is everyone smart and it's just us <laughs> like I don't understand I don't I feel sometimes it's like their babble I think it's kind of like I've embraced my babble you know I think um I don't know my favorite poets uh you know have a sense of humor so I would I just because I think humor and poetry are more intertwined than we realize and uh mm -hmm. It's about, uh, you know, both both attempt to delight and surprise uh, the reader or the listener, and whether mm -hmm. it's by laughing or by you know the impact of poetry and all that. And the so I I don't know I've just seen in in my experience the po the poems that I like the best when I do meet the poet they have a really great sense of humor and so I'd like to think that he did too. And I've never met him, but I've read mm -hmm. a lot of anecdote and he seems like he was a really great guy and. Uh, fun to be around so yeah indeed yes. I hope that is true I hope people have great memories of Simic and toast to you Charles Simic wherever you are thank you for your legacy of poetry and just advocacy for words now on to video <laughs> game poetry guys on to, on to video <laughs> game let's talk about what matters here <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's go. Let's. Uh, are you ready to talk video games and poetry? Let's uh, do this. So, I I thought of this poem. We were talking last week about the poem, and it referenced uh, Romeo and Juliet, the movie version with Leo and Claire Danes, and it got me thinking about more pop culture things. And I I'm a huge gamer. And I've work uh, kind of tangentially, 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 whatever that word is. <laughs> I work in the video game industry in, in a, kind of a different slant way, but I do. So I, lo I love games. Yeah. I've been gaming since a kid. It's really, it's really interesting. So now I've like doubled down in my nerdiness when it comes to games. <laughs> so now I'm like even more invested because I'm like, oh, now this is like paying me a little bit. So here we go. Yeah. That's that. But so video games, I've been I've been a huge fan for a long time. So uh, Cartridge Lit is an online literary journal that actually focuses on video games as literature and they accept fiction, nonfiction and poetry uh, inspired by video games. So I wanted to check out a writer who was working in that realm and talk about how pop culture and things that we might not think of as literary can actually be something that inspires us in, in the sense that maybe it's more like an ecrastic poem than it is just some weird niche little thing. So the poem that we're going to toast or roast today is A Manual for All of Your Collisions by Jameson Crabtree.
a manual for all of your collisions. Nearly everything is replaceable early on when the world is large and you are small, but still you will lose everyone you love. One by one, each will leave you. The world will shrink little things, old books, tea sets, trash bags, bigger. Your gardener may fly off up into the sky or tremble violently across the horizon. Your family will make its own unique silence and topple through the ground. Sad as they are, these things are and they are bound to happen. Fate or whatever will leave no trace. But you can imagine them back into your sleep early some nights. Besides, there are more gardeners if that's what you're looking for. And a family is something you construct. It changes size capriciously. Look, the shoreline's awash in new dogs and trash. Things vanish, people vanish. It's okay. Please stop avoiding loss. Rush into it because, and please remember, all at once and eventually, you will leave them too. This is all living is. Why should you ever have expected anything larger? That was a manual for all of your collisions by Jameson Crabtree up at cartridgelit.com. And one thing I will mention right off the bat is the fact that it is essentially all lowercase. Uh, it seems to have a certain kind of grammatical world of its own in a lot of the ways there are some fragments but it's still using you know apostrophes and periods and question marks um it very much looks almost i don't want to say not I, they're going to come out wrong and i know how it's going to sound it almost looks amateur in a sense where it's like very much looks like what i've seen a lot of teens kind of write in my day um but i think there's just some really fascinating things happening. And I think it's one of the rare poems that usually I bulk at that. I bulk at all lowercase letters and this kind of style where it's broken up and fragmented. But for me, uh, this particular poem, it works in conjunction with kind of the subject or this idea of loss that is happening throughout the poem. Mm -hmm. I think there is, a, I wanna say it gives me one art by Elizabeth Bishop vibes a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> to reference that it totally was it reminded me of that for sure yeah right yeah so i i like that and i i'm assuming if we both kind of picked up on that there must be a hint of that in here uh i don't like to bring in bio too much but uh jameson crabtree it says is a black mountain institute phd fellow <laughs> so i assume they are extremely, extremely intelligent. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've read one art by Elizabeth Bishop at some point in their career. So um, I just, I love that kind of slant reference to all of that or their own take on that. And like I said, this, I can't specifically say what game this is referencing in any way, shape or form, or if it's just this generic kind of idea of a a game and this manual that you can sometimes get with video games so you know how to play at least that's the way they did it back in the day but yeah I just from the title 
I just found it very, very interesting and very fascinating what they were doing in this kind of tone that they've achieved by, by this small, the small letters, the small lines, these short little fragments. I just, uh, I don't know, it sets this kind of really interesting mood for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe it. it's funny that you brought up one art because uh, I, I picked that up immediately almost so much that I, I was surprised that it didn't, um, you know, I don't think it's, it's obviously not like plagiarized or anything like that, but it's, it's so, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of embracing loss so directly and, um, mm-hmm. and what was the line towards the end, uh, uh, like rush into it, you know, it just, it's very similar to the way um, Elizabeth Bishop is, you know, just kind of like, you know, throw it all away and embrace disaster, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that aside, I, I feel like I should um, begin by saying I know very, very, very little about uh, video games. Like Pac-Man gives me anxiety. Like the last <laughs> I ever really played in earnest was probably Zelda. Um, you know, so it's um, it's not something I really do or get into. So first off, uh, all right. So I'm not I'm not a gamer. Okay, so if if this mm-hmm. if you put this in front of me without the context of knowing it's um, published in a a gaming uh, you know venue, um, I wouldn't pick up any gaming references whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But because I had that context, I did a little bit of you know trying to read it in that way. I did come across um, something because I was like, "Is a manual for all your collisions a game?" You know, <laughs> like so mm-hmm. I like. So I was like <laughs> around to see if I could find like the video game that it was referencing to see if like gardeners fly off into the sky or you know I, I had no idea. So I, I I googled around a little and I didn't obviously didn't find anything, mm-hmm. uh, but I did find that um, there is like in in the act of um, or in the the practice of gaming physics um, that there is something called uh, collusion or collision detection. Um, which is like it's the way to program I guess to make sure it's like the algorithms for like space partitioning so that when mm-hmm. you have like your characters they don't like go through each other you know like if you're mm-hmm. moving around that there that there's enough space and there's like a whole collision uh, detection algorithm to make sure that things work in that way and so it, I got curious if if it had anything to do with that but I you know that was the only thing I, I could really think of if that was like gaming language. Other than that, I, you know, I was having a really hard time to see exactly h- how this poem um, really relates to gaming at all. And I like mm-hmm. that. And I don't like that. Um, partly because I think when you, you know, when you have a pop culture reference in a poem, it, it can be um, very accessible, I think, to a lot of readers, but it also can be like super alienating. So you have to really toe the line of using, kind of like in Caitlin Gildrian's poem last week, and she brought mm-hmm. up the Romeo and Juliet, and we both said like, we would always be scared to you know, <laughs> bring up like the Romeo and Juliet movie from like the 90s, because you know, it, it, you run the risk of turning people off if they hadn't seen it, or you know, mm-hmm. like in this case, you might be turning somebody off if they hadn't played that video game, or if they don't play any video games, or hadn't heard of it, or whatever. Um, so, this mm-hmm. particular instance, if somebody gave me this poem, I would read it completely outside of the context of video games. But um, 
one of the things that I, I related to, you know, I could relate to right off the bat was everything is replaceable. Um, and as a mother with young children, I have replaced so many things, <laughs> TVs, an iPad, uh, you know, like other important things. And I don't think that my kids, you know, and, and with the TVs, it was like a harmless thing, you know, some, mm -hmm. some was throwing something around and just that, you know, like just got to hit the corner of a TV, like enough that it, you know, <laughs> ruined the whole screen. That happened like mm -hmm. twice in five years. Wow. And as much as, you know, we disciplined our children and, you know, and mm -hmm. they were all sad and remorseful again, you know, because you know, we like TV. We had a new TV like pretty fast after that. And so in their, I think in their small minds, you know, that that mm -hmm. that turnaround time of of replacing our things uh feels really fast, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, and then it kind of the way the poem sort of goes on to kind of remind you that, you know, you're not gonna be around forever. You know, no one's around forever. We're gonna, you know, you're gonna start losing people. Uh, one at a time and um and so that's really relatable to me uh you know I I think it's something that we all come to terms with and uh and so I did I did like that um part of of the poem you know in terms of the the grammatical uh approach again like you mm -hmm. uh, you know I always uh, I I try not to pay too much attention to those types of choices, but at the same time, there's always like a little bird on my shoulder with like a beret on its head. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, That's a very specific <laughs> image of this bird. Um, you know, my poet bird on my shoulders asks why, like why this yep. choice? Why did you make this choice and what is it doing for you? Like, what does it do for this poem? And I'm not sure I know, um, at all I, I can't really say what I like and I can say specifically what I don't like which is the writing because as b slash c and that drove me crazy reading it not even just for like the, mm -hmm. the way it looks but which I'm assuming comes off a little bit like an algebraic uh you know uh coding algorithm type deal or something yeah. um it could be semi-intentional in that way but um, but also I'm not a fan of ampersands in poems either. That's just, I just don't like it. I don't, it's distracting. I, I, I don't, unless I can find the distinct purpose and really come down on, on what it is or why that choice was made to mm -hmm. me, it's nothing special. It's not doing much for the poem. Um, yeah, I have, I love ampersands, but you have to let me know that you know what you're doing with them if they're used willy-nilly just because like I, I like to think of them as like a knot in a way because it's just it very much looks like you're tying something together so if the two words like on each side of the ampersand don't somehow tie really well together for me it just feels like a it feels decorative yeah. more than a really good choice so I think uh in most of these uh they just seem somewhat decorative and like you said with the B slash C as because I'm not sure if there's more like kind of coding or algorithmic things that are happening that make it seem more less poetic and more like computer lingo or game lingo or whatnot um but for me I don't I'm not really 
familiar with coding or any of that stuff. So I couldn't really tell you if that's some kind of little inside knowledge or joke within the poem. Uh, I want to touch a little bit about what you said about uh, if you read this poem, like outside of the magazine, if you would understand that it's a video game poem or not. And I definitely don't think I would pick up on that either as like a specific video game poem, let's say. Uh, so it, it reminds me of what some of the cooking show judges might say if they're like, oh, if you're going to say you have uh, green tea and ginger cake, I need to be able to taste both. Like mm -hmm. it, it might like if you're like, oh, this is a great green tea flavor. It's a delicious cake. But since you said green tea and ginger, I need to pick up on the ginger and then you get docked points type of situation <laughs> where I'm like, what should I I feel like a little bit of me is like would I dock points for this because if it was outside of this journal I'd have no idea what they were talking about as far as in a video game context so right. I'm like oh but because it's in a video game magazine does that make me think a little bit negatively towards like even if it's a good poem or not like if you're saying it's about or based off or inspired by video games like how is it inspired by video games and I don't necessarily see it being inspired by in this quite the same way as some of the other poems I've read in the in the journal itself. Yeah, I poked around, I, you know, uh, to other poems in the journal just to kind of get a feel of what they, what other kind of poems they published. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely found more concrete references um, to specific oh, yeah. games and, and, you know, I'm not saying that's better or worse. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just one of those issues like if you need context, um, that is tricky. Um, and like for mm -hmm. this, in this particular situation, the context of the video game realm helped justify um, issues, like I said, that, you know, with the gra grammar or also the gardener flying away in the sky. I literally saw like this little like um, you know, that's how I pictured it <laughs> and being like, this has to be some kind of, you know, the way video game characters, you know, just live a, or in a, a universe that is unlike our own, but then at mm. the same time, it's tackling um, things that are very much within our own real world. And so, um, yeah, it, it, and so I, I, I was constantly going back and forth between the two, almost wishing this wasn't in a video game um, magazine so that I wasn't always trying to struggle for that context. I think that, you know, when you have these niche journals, um, I think it's great. I, I love, I love journals that especially editors, if they have a passion and they want to curate a space for that passion and solicit um, content that is very specific to that theme and that's their thing. I think that's wonderful. I think it 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 probably is great on their end in terms of uh, really slicing and dicing that slush pile. Mm -hmm. um, and they probably have a very smaller submission queue, and uh, and so that can be easy and better to mm -hmm. slowly curate as an editor. But I also feel like it can come with some significant problems and. One of those problems is, you know, is this poem, like, are you choosing poems that are great or are you choosing mm -hmm. just the best of what you are receiving in your theme? This is kind of like a two-part problem because I, I also think that uh, 
you know, if you have these niche journals um, and people, I think, know that the submission queue is small, it can be easy to send your less than strong work and sort of repackage it very, as vaguely as into their theme um, just because mm -hmm. you want to, you know, you want to keep getting published. It reminds me of, um, like, I also, I'm into horror movies, but, at, like, there's essentially no one that I could even remotely think of that is writing, let's say, a horror poem without it just being <laughs> kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, there are these genres and these little interests, and not little interests, but these interests in different kind of like little subcategories of things that I think would be so interesting in a literary sphere, but writing about them is so difficult. And like you said, do you not necessarily lower your standards, but when your pool gets just that much smaller in the writing, like how do you still manage to curate or edit some of the best writing while also managing to keep that interest, whatever that original interest is, whether it's video games or horror movies or sci-fi, things like that. It's such a hard kind of combination of things to do, I think. And there's only a handful of poets that I can think of that manage to kind of combine different interests like that into some really, really like brilliant poetry, but it, it is difficult. And I, I think that's possibly one reason why I avoid a lot of pop culture references or various interests in my own writing is that it's really hard and like you said even with humor like being funny in a poem is <laughs> it's brutal it's so difficult it really so. is we're talking about niche poetry but this is like mm -hmm. super niche i mean oh. this is like ultra <laughs> niche. and so i wanted to go and read their submission guidelines and see like yeah. what they're actually looking for because like i said i wasn't i wasn't really sure if this if this particular poem fit the 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 um the guidelines and mm -hmm. anyway I, I loved I loved what they wrote um that they were looking for pieces that live within virtual worlds what non-player characters dream of when the heroes aren't around what happens after the world is saved uh the unseen mm -hmm. sentences hidden between the lines of code and that to me is like I mean talk about like a writing prompt uh, I mean, that's fun. I don't even like video games. And that is such a fun concept <laughs> um, to think about and uh, like a, an awesome just launch pad into like mm -hmm. bigger ideas of, of thinking. So then I tried to read this poem in that, you know, by those guideline standards and to see if whether or not this poem kind of uh, follows through on what they're looking for. Um, and I'm still not sure. And I think it's, uh, you know, there's just some of the, some of the, you know, not to get like too nitty gritty into some of the lines, but like, you know, the idea of like the small things and the big things, right? First, you're going to lose some of the small things. Um, and, and uh, like, or yeah, like the old books, tea sets, trash bags, and then bigger colon <laughs> your gardener might fly off into <laughs> I mean and first of all the small things doesn't have a colon in that way um but mm -hmm. it's you know it's like you'll you know uh, you know that's fine 
but it's just like wow like we went from trash bags to the gardener flying off in the sky and I'm like <laughs> first of all I would love to have a gardener I don't I don't have one I, I don't know I don't many people that do and um you know second of all uh I just it you know it's it kind of goes from really small to to really abstract um like to like not just big mm -hmm. like you're not going to go from losing you know a tea set from when you're younger to losing maybe a parent uh you know or you know and the idea of death and loss it just leaps into this total abstract image of the gardener going off into the horizon and then also like dogs and trash on the beach I wasn't sure what that mm -hmm. meant uh exactly like are the dogs washing up with the trash or the dogs eating the trash and why are all the dogs there I don't understand again like the overall idea that we do have to come come to terms with loss and that's a very uh something that we all I think think about mm -hmm. It may not be all the time, but, it, you know, and so sometimes reading a poem like this is is one of those harsh reminders of things that we will eventually lose or a reminder of things we may have already lost and that it's inevitable and that inevitability, it can be something that you need to kind of work into your regular existence, you know, um, but I uh, and I do like the last line. Uh, you know, why should you have expected anything larger? And that is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a little, a little bit of a anti-afterlife, anti-God, maybe anti-bigger universe and bringing it back mm -hmm. down. So, you know, I'm just reaching to find, to create these little worlds um, that like, kind of like the microcosm of a video game and how it all has its limits. You know, you can win the mm -hmm. game and you can uh play it again and again but it's not going to change yeah it's it's interesting in that context like there's the limits of the world within a video game let's say and then our own limits here and what the real world or whatever you want to call this um I, I think so i've been thinking a lot about this idea of smallness and largeness and like i said i the one thing that saves the poem as far as the lowercase letters. And I, I was looking through the other poems on the page too, and he does a lot of that. I mean, it's the same kind of stylistically, I would say is pretty similar, but I do like that. I like, it gives me like pixelated vibes, I guess it would be like the best way to phrase it. And I, like, I keep thinking about what, what is largeness? What is big? What is, that concept like what is what what more is there according to the author according to the speaker like i i'm just very fascinated by it there's a kind of real i don't want maybe like darkness or cynicism a little bit to some of this like it's just there's this kind of like defeated and i maybe i feel it a little bit <laughs> like heading into my middle ages here it's just like yeah like there there was so much different sense of possibility and largeness to the world at times and you get to a point whether it's real life or in a video game where it's like you you complete something or you feel like okay this is this is the limits of where i'm going or this is the limits of my space and i really enjoy the fact that 
So this will this will sound kind of odd, but there isn't references to let's say like the ocean or space or anything. These things that give me a sense of smallness because in comparison to something large and immense like the ocean, when I see like the Pacific beach, when I go, it, it just seems overwhelmingly large. And it gives me the sense of the world is this giant magical place. Or if I look up at the sky in the middle of nowhere, it feels big. And this poem is like the reverse of that, where it's like shrinking down a lot of things. And even with the gardener flying off into the sky or tremble violently across the horizon, there is still that sense of like this quiet, small, kind of compactness to so much of what's going on in the poem. It's, it's a strangely claustrophobic kind of piece to me. I think it gets a lot of things right about life. And I think, um, you know, in a, uh, again, like in our own microcosms, things are pretty small. And yeah, mm -hmm. you know, our, our families can remake themselves over and over again. That's very... Uh, a very real, um, true thing. And I, I really liked that. Um, you know, I liked, I liked the line, your family will make its own unique silence. Um, I, I wish, cause I had this, um, I had this image of like coffins in the ground. And so I was a little thrown off by the word choice of topple you know, like uh, they'll make their own unique silence and topple through the ground. I think I would have loved like burrow or something like this idea of like coffins burrowing in the ground as opposed <laughs> to topple, uh, um, you know, falling over, um, you know, family making a, a silence by falling through the ground just didn't really work um, as much for me. But I don't you know, that's just... Mm -hmm but I did um you know I I love I love that because you know it's like like the poet says um you know sad as they are these things are and they are bound to happen and it's so it is it's 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 very doomsday uh and you know I, I wanted you know and I that's okay you know I I I I don't think that that's bad I guess I wanted more uh, justifications um because when you get to the end uh of this like stop avoiding loss and and you know I don't know who the speaker is talking to if it's if it's himself or mm -hmm. if it's uh someone else I you know I don't know it could be like an internal monologue thing happening um but you know it was like rush into it and then it was just <laughs> rush into it period because <laughs> Because we're <laughs> please remember, um, it was like that's it. Rush into it, just because, like that, you know, like you know, I was expecting more. I wanted to know, like, why, like, why, you know, because I think our instincts, or at least you know, the way generally humans talk, is like, you know, take in every day, uh, you know, or like, you know. <laughs> You know, this idea of me talking about my kids and then breaking stuff, you know, how many mm. times as parents can we count that they, you know, people say like, enjoy them while they last, while they're young, <laughs> yeah. you know, like soak up every second, not like rush yeah. them into college, get them out of the house. <laughs> because... Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, not that 
I mean, obviously we both don't write the happiest poems a lot of times, I would say, but uh, that question of what should the author leave a reader with is a really interesting one. And I think about this in film too, like if, do you want to sit through two and a half hours of just someone going through misery and then just dying? Like, what's the point? What is what does that say about life or what does that teach or what kind of artistic value does that have? Um, and this kind of, I can see the criticism there with this one. Like you said, I, I do like that last line. Why should you have, or why should you ever have expected anything larger? And I'm trying to figure out if this is a pretty, like nihilistic kind of defeated voice or if this is a more sort of you know eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die type of poems because <laughs> I kind of get I kind of get both vibes depending on where I am in the poem I kind of feel like there is this sense of strange optimism that can be found once all control is lost to a person like that moment where life is so absurdly sad that you just start laughing. I feel like there's a lot of that kind of emotion in some of these lines where it's just like things are like, you're gonna lose things. And when you were when you were small, things felt were replaceable and they felt fine and that it's not gonna be like that. And I just, I don't know where to put that feeling, I guess. And I think that's a good thing. I think poems that can kind of complicate your own emotions uh, generally, uh, I see them as a favorable thing, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, complicating your emotions is is definitely, I think, a good thing because this there's a really a uh, a back and forth between a very tangible, uh, emotional, real things that we go through, and then more abstract images um, that you know, create more of an alluring, um, you know, mystery, I think, uh, about life. The shoreline's awash in dogs and trash. Things mm -hmm. vanish, you know, people vanish. And it's very abstract. I don't exactly know what it means. I don't, I don't know what it could be a larger metaphor for. I can see that. Like I, so we were, discussing with our only friend uh, Clint earlier about how how do you make a list of things into something more than just a list of things basically was the question we were kind of tackling and I I'm looking at like like old books tea sets trash bags that there's old books sure a little bit a little vague uh, tea sets gives more of a sense of kind of time or kind of personhood I guess trash bags is just trash bags do the items here really give a sense of enough of a sense of specificity to evoke some kind of emotion and I don't know that that is a little bit it keeps me a little bit wanting I have to admit there I I don't mind lists I don't mind things but I some of these things I just am not connected to enough to feel their loss anyways yeah so but I guess I mean yeah. I'm not sure maybe that's the point because they're small and it doesn't matter if you lose them so who knows 
I kind of was expecting a little bit of a progression. It's nitpicky, but it it helps. Like some of these little details, um, because this does feel like, you know, it's describing a progression of one's life and the things that you lose mm -hmm. way and how much you lose along the way and how much bigger that loss becomes. Um, I feel like fine tuning some of these little details, even because they are a little abstract would make all the difference and sort of guiding mm -hmm. the reader throughout again to go you know back into the bigger the bigger things um you know it's it's a little cold um i guess in the sense that you know you're gonna lose these things it's okay you know like he, i mean he <laughs> literally just it's okay you know like it is what it is kind of thing and stop avoiding it rush into it mm -hmm. yeah i keep trying to squish it back into this um, packaged idea of video game and and it it still keeps pointing to something larger even though it it's simultaneously saying um you know why would you expect anything larger but it you know it's you know it, i don't know it's just it it it's it just keeps rubbing up against itself in a weird way mm -hmm. you know there's just a, a strange friction in in the intention and and uh and I think what what we're receiving on our end. I, I think you touched on that kind of coldness, which is a really, I think, accurate way to put some of these things. I mean, the part, you know, sad as they are, these things are, and they are bound to happen. is very, pretty casual about some of these things. And not that it needs to be overly sentimental or overly emotional or whatnot, but yeah, there is a very kind of casual approach to some of this and that can be found in like fate or whatever will leave no trace. So I think, like I said, I can't tell if this is a deeply cynical kind of voice or if it's a strangely like, voice that has just accepted things and is ready to just move on with life despite knowing that it's just going to end and they'll eventually leave too so yeah i'm like right in the middle yeah we can go for it if you want to yeah should we should we try let's do this wow this is this is a tough one i am oh yeah i suppose okay since i picked it i will i will do the voting first uh, I, like you said, I like the title. Uh, I don't necessarily read this as a manual per se, but the title is still interesting. Uh, they managed to do a lot of craft things that I tend to steer away from really well. I thought um, the use, the intentional use of all lowercase, kind of the intentional uh, fragments, the intentional um, kind of the way they broke the lines were really interesting to me. I think they did a lot of things that were so well done and obviously well thought out. So this person is fantastic at craft, I think. And I looked at some of the other poems and I, I have no doubt they absolutely know what they're doing. And I think this poem has a lot of things that are enjoyable. I think a lot of lines stick out for me there is just a little bit of connective tissue within the poem that doesn't quite cohere for me, even though like 
so many pieces I can say I like, but then taken as a whole, it doesn't quite move in the same way that I want it to or connect in the same way I would like to see. Um, yeah, so I think despite all that, and then I've been thinking about this as more of an ekphrastic poem based on inspired by video games or based on a specific one. And I don't necessarily think it needs to be very um, specific or very direct about what it's connecting to, but I can't necessarily find it connecting to even just in general, <laughs> a video game world or ideas too much anyways, other than like the gardener flying off or that kind of reverse gravity moment that can happen. Uh, so I think for me, despite so many things I actually do enjoy, I'm gonna be a little more critical on this end and roast it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like, so, and, and I should preface too, like I think this and read in conjunction with the rest of the poet's work and as this whole like, I really enjoy what they're doing. I think it's unique. I think it's different. I think they're obviously talented. And just because I wrote this one particular thing doesn't mean I won't be exploring a lot of their other work. Like it's, it makes me think and it's very interesting. And I, and what did they say? They have a book of laments for movie monsters. So obviously this is kind of their realm. Yeah. Like they're this extremely smart, talented individual who really loves to explore these different sides of culture and making them work in a literary sphere. And I think that's to find someone that can do that well is so rare. So I'll definitely be uh, exploring more of Jameson Crabtree's work. So I, I, I will say I will toast Jameson Crabtree, the writer. I will roast this particular poem, <laughs> but <laughs> Jameson, I will be exploring your work because I, I think what you tried and attempted here is extremely, extremely good and admirable and some of these other lines and these other poems are so great too so i mean you you have a fan uh but in, in lieu of you know of just always being toasting everything i had to go with the roast so <laughs> there i am oh man well that's that's a i think a fair assessment and justification of your verdicts um i agree though um there's a lot to be admired in this poem i think you know, when you tackle, um, or if you're trying to write towards a niche um, or a, a very specific, uh, very specific theme, uh, that poses a lot of challenges. And um, you know, even as you were talking, I started to think a little bit more about, um, you know, because like I said, my experience with video games is very uh, analog and uh, you know, conventional uh, <laughs> and all that, but. Um, you know, that there is, you know, video games today, I've been watching my son play, I think it's Madden or something, though, is that the football game? Yeah. Um, some of these things are so realistic, they look like real players, it looks like real life. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and if you put it in that way, a lot of the things that we were talking about, uh, you know, where it's sort of, it, it kind of just does this balancing act between real life uh you know 
uh, reality that we have to deal with um, every day and and some of these more abstract images that I think, you know, what, even though he's playing a very realistic video game, it also, I'm sure, has its abstract moments that are just very specific to the game and not at all possible in real life. And, you know, as he's playing it, those, you know, that game has its limits and why would he expect anything more once, you know, once you turn the TV off and put the game console away and all that kind of thing. Um, that said, I, I, context is everything, you know, and, and because it's in this journal and because I had to read it through that lens, um, it became a, a distraction and a inner conflict in my head that I think took away from the poem. Um, then if I were to read this uh, without context at all, on the other side of it, if I read this poem just handed to me with no context, I would be wondering about mm -hmm. some of these images that are just a little strange um, and don't make so much sense, like the gardener flying off, you know, into the horizon. And I, I don't want to say, you know, that I think, you know, I, I don't want to put down niche journals um, mm -hmm. and I don't want to dissuade anyone from thinking of creating one or anyone from submitting to them I guess this to me is a is an example of where the content is just too ambiguous uh to justify its place in this journal and I think it was probably good enough because it is interesting it does have some really interesting lines um and it 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 lures you in with the strangeness of it all and the strange gr grammar and all that. Um, but it raises more questions than, than answers, um, than gives answers. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, the art of losing, I, I learned about a long time ago uh, when I read Elizabeth Bishop's one art and I think she did it better. Um, so I am going to have to also roast this poem. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, you, the interesting like dilemma of these kind of journals is like, for one, I do want to also say like these kind of journals are fantastic. And I think they do as much for the literary culture as your Paris reviews or I mean, they might not have the same reach, but I think creating that kind of diversity of subject matter and being able to explore pop culture are different arenas or different audiences even is so important like if you are a journal that only caters to mfa havers uh that's boring let's be honest that's just it's not good it just creates a system of like elitism and gatekeeping and that's kind of crappy but when you have journals like this where people who probably aren't interested in poetry will actually look at it or might find something that they can relate to in a more concrete way. I mean, some of these other poems are very direct in how they're connected to Zelda or Final Fantasy or all these different kinds of games. So when you can reach that community or reach any kind of different community, I always think that's a good thing. So uh, yeah. encourage people to go check out this journal, Cartridge Lit. Uh, I encourage people to check out Jam Jameson Crabtree's work because they're obviously working in those kind of realms too, which I think is very important. And like I said, obviously, <laughs> PhD. I mean, that is just so yeah. smart. You've I'm no pretty doubt. sure he's just so talented. There's no and doubt I mean, that we're the dummies sure. in this conversation. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent kudos to Cartridge Lit. Reading the guidelines, um, 
and the possibilities I was intrigued to mm -hmm. as a writing prompt to find sort of language within the code and how you can play with that and work with that is such an, a fascinating idea like very super cool and uh so I, I I think that what they're doing is awesome there is challenges when you do um have such a specific niche um to make sure that your content is always excellent and um you might have to make some concessions mm -hmm to either uh, publish less frequently um, until you get the best mm -hmm. of best of what you get, you know, of submissions, or uh, you have to concede that maybe the work is good, uh, but possibly not great. And that is, you know, that's a tough challenge, I think, for an editor of this type of, of journal. Yeah, and that, like we were saying, like it to, not necessarily, I don't mean like cater to one audience, but I mean, when you definitely write or edit for one audience, how do you expand it beyond that audience? Especially when, like you said, it's such a small category of people. There are a ton of gamers out in the world, but gamers who are also into poetry, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a tiny fraction of <laughs> us. <so. laughs> but I do wanna talk, um, if, you, if it's all right, uh, to transition to next week. Yeah. Um, Okay, because um, I, I kind of want to keep riding this pop culture wave a little bit since we're mm -hmm. on it. And um, and so I um, I had put actually put a call out on my Facebook page um, because, um, you know, I, I have a like a personal list of of poems that reference pop culture. But I was really curious what, you know, people might suggest. And I got a lot, a lot of suggestions. But there was one that. Um, I was reminded of, and I would really like to talk about it. Um, it's uh, in the waiting room of the Dell's Children's Hospital, of the Dell Children's Hospital CF Clinic at age 40. Um, and it's by a poet named Brie A. Rolf. And it's from her book that was published, I think it was, uh, I want to say 2021 so I think it's uh it's still pretty new and it's uh her book called who is going to love the dying girl uh and it's originally published in the Coachella review so I'll put a link to it for uh for you and for um everybody else but um yeah I don't want to do any spoiler alerts but uh it's a very interesting poem and I think it'll be uh a shift for us and uh kind of talk about pop culture in a different way um, interesting all right don't think I know the poet or this poem so yeah I'm excited I have her book so um I might I would love to do another giveaway um with her book because I do have a couple copies and I um so we can we can work that in talk that, about that next week all right well thank you everybody for joining us once again at the table we are table for deuce if you want to email us your opinions you can contact us at table for deuce at gmail.com for as in the number table for deuce at gmail.com uh watch our video like listen subscribe get us uh, to 25 we gotta get to 25 we gotta get we got 24 right now and that's uncomfy we yeah. want to go to 25. That is so much better of a number. We're a quarter of the way to 100. We can do it, everybody. Yep. Let's go. People, people are hungry for this kind of dialogue. I'm sure of it. But let's going from. Trying to fix my ring lights. I'm so sick of seeing the ring in my glasses. Ugh. I'm sorry. It's just like. Just, see my own.
You're getting a lot of chest and torso there, Kate. Yes. The little podcast that could or something. I don't know. <laughs>